Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansham at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Bo, the Passover lamb and the courage of your convictions. So I want to start with a question that I'll ask you, but I'm also posing it to myself and I would also pose it to our listeners as well. Are there ideas that you would make sacrifices for? I'm not asking you, are there ideas that you believe in that you take seriously, but are you willing to take action on those ideas, even though they may cost you something? It might cost you a friendship. It might cost you a relationship. It might even cost you your job. It might even cost you where you live. How committed are you to your ideals? I think it's an interesting question for our time. It is, but... I don't even have to think about it. And, you know, the answer is obviously yes. If you don't have anything you feel strongly enough to fight about, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, uh, as my uh, my favorite go-to quote person, Martin Luther King said, if you don't have anything worth dying for, you know, you may not have anything worth living for. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I feel like maybe it's easier to say that up front and then try to get specific. Okay, what would I sacrifice my job for? What would I sacrifice my home for? You know, we hear people say, oh, if this person's elected, I'm leaving the country. Um, But would you really do it? You know, how strongly do you feel about it? And I guess it's, you know, my initial reaction to you was, oh, of course, there are many things. I would fight for my religious freedom. I would fight for freedom of speech. You know, there's so many things that I I feel like I would would go to the mat for. Mm Mm-hmm. But when push comes to shove, you know, when do I go to the mat? I haven't really taken that many chances in my life. I'm going to agree with you 100% and underscore that notion of have we really been tested on this idea? Right. But I also would acknowledge that there are ways that we try to finesse the hard decisions, find a compromise to take a step back, if you will, and try and assess the situation and find a way where I don't have to go full bore on this issue and find out what's going to happen. Is there a way for me to kind of manage the situation as opposed to going forward with it? And I I think this is a question for our time because, at least from my vantage point, one of the post-COVID impacts is the whole idea that, you know, I want to just be left alone. I want to live my life in my house and take care of myself. And am I really willing to get out there beyond myself at this point, right? What I believe in is me and my family and taking care of my circle of friends. But beyond that, how involved do I really want to be? And there are real issues in our society, major ideas that are being debated, And what am I willing to do to stand up for them? Am I willing to literally fight for them? Am I willing to take the hit? What you were saying really reminded me of, we were at the height of COVID when George Floyd was murdered in in Minneapolis. And we all had to decide, and I know you led one of the marches downtown, and your congregants had to decide, um, do we join our rabbi? And we do, we, you know, at a time when we were afraid to go out of our houses because of this virus, uh, normally there'd be a decision there. How strongly do I feel about this you know, act of police brutality, this brutal murder? Am I willing to put my feet on the pavement and march with my rabbi? But in this case, it was also, am I willing to expose myself to this virus that could be lingering in the air? I hadn't been in a crowd of more than four people, and now I'm going to be in a crowd of thousands, right? So... 
it really forced you to think about how strongly you believe in joining this this march and joining this protest. Am I willing to put my my boots on the ground to stand up for this? And we face those kind of decisions all the time. But that one, because of COVID and because of the brutality of what happened, really forced you to, to weigh your values and to decide just how much you were willing to risk in a, in a really powerful way. Well, I think those decisions were very much part of my own household. And at the end of the day, I remember we said, well, you could either watch it or march with us, but get involved somehow and be involved. And I and a lot of people did come out, but a lot of people watched and I and I respect that. I'm really referring to this larger issue about can I zoom my feelings about an issue? In other words, is everything virtual? Do I need to sometimes put some skin in the game? is really what it comes down to. And all of this is really kind of a long-winded introduction to our Torah reading. Oh, this is a surprise. <laughs> you find you see through me. Yes, I know. Did not see that one coming. Yeah, oh, right, right. Uh, I, so we're reading uh, the portion of Bo. We're at the end of the plagues. And one thing that we, we should focus on for a minute is that the plagues themselves we're not simply an attack on the Egyptians through the creation, through nature, which they are, but they're also an attack on the Egyptian gods. The Egyptians worship the Nile. The Egyptians worship the sun. There was an eclipse. The Egyptians worshiped Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's son dies. So what the plagues are showing ultimately is that there is a god above all of this that controls all, and that's the god that the Israelites are following. Now, We've talked about in years past, who's the real audience here? Is it is the Israelites or the uh, Egyptians? But at the end of the day, in our portion, they're going to celebrate Pesach. And you might not think that the celebration of a Passover Seder is that radical of an event, but the first Passover Seder demanded that the Israelites make a decision and, in a sense, not take a leap of faith, but take a leap of action, as Heschel would say. And what they had to do was to take a lamb and sacrifice it. Well, that doesn't sound like a big deal to other people, especially people who eat shawarma and things like that. People like eating lamb. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal was that for Egyptians, a lamb was a holy animal. It was part of their pantheon of God. So that to take a lamb and to sacrifice it, the Pesach itself represents a radical act. And by doing this in front of their Egyptian neighbors, they were not only declaring their freedom from them, they were declaring their allegiance to their God. They were basically saying, we're not staying here anymore. We're leaving. So that's sort of the ultimate act of separation, but it's the ultimate act of being willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, and that's real skin in the game, is when you make those kinds of statements where you know that they're going to be unpopular with your neighbors, but you take the stand anyway because you believe it's the right thing to do. Yeah, they're not just saying, hey, leave us alone, we want to be free. They're saying we repudiate the system that has made us slaves. We reject it in the strongest possible way. You know, we eat your <laughs> your symbols of power. We, you know, we, that's that's bold. You know, that's not just saying, hey, let, let us go. We're going to slide out the back door here. That's, you know, that's a big, <laughs> pardon my, crude, my crudeness, but that's like, you know, that's a big middle finger. Think of it this way. What if... In the 19th century, there were a whole series 
of seemingly national occurrences that were bringing the South to its knees, and that the slaves were following their God, and they were going to leave America for whatever promised land that they were leaving, and that the entire meal was centered around, forgive this, the consumption of an American eagle, right? The national symbol of America. I think we can both agree that anybody who would make a ritualized meal centered on the American eagle, as repulsive as that may sound, isn't going to stay here very long. Right. Right. They're, they're, I'm leaving. Right. So, and, But that's kind of the same idea. And I think that kind of the visceral response that I felt when I said the, the words American Eagle and said, you know, God, I, I can't even know. I didn't want to imagine that. But it's the same concept. It would be the same revulsion that an Egyptian would feel. And there's no going back. Once you do it, you do it. And so the Israelites are learning that to follow the God of Israel you have to be willing to stand alone. You have to really be stand apart, but you also have to be willing to stand for something. That's an idea that we don't talk about quite enough at our Passover seders. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's a slamming of a door, and it's and it's hard for us because we are Jews of the diaspora. We are, you know, assimilating and maintaining our identities. But this is a moment where nobody's looking for assimilation. This is a moment of pure independence. This is a moment where people are saying, we have to decide who we are going to be because we're not going to be defined by who we were. That's a powerful moment. It's hard actually to imagine what it took for those people in that moment in time to do that. Because what the God of Abraham was offering them was the opportunity to leave Egypt, walk in the desert to a land that Abraham was promised. But that's it. They're walking into the unknown. It's not a magic carpet ride where they're going to all suddenly find themselves in the land of Canaan without anyone else living there. This is going to be a hard slog. They're going to have to go through the desert. They're not prepared for this. They're going to have to fight wars. They're not prepared for that. They are going to have to constantly be willing to stand up for their beliefs if, to the point where they're going to have to make real sacrifices. That's the story. That's the story at the end. What gets me is that, you know, what are their beliefs? This is new, right? This is not something that's steeped in generations. This is a real leap of faith into something that's, that's still unproven and unknown. And that's what's so powerful about it. And yet, through the gift of hindsight, we know what's going to happen. We know how the story is going to end. We know that they're going to settle that land, but moreover, we know that the Israelites are going to impact the world, not like the other nations of the world through empires, through you know conquest. They're going to have an impact on the world through ideas. And so in a way, that Passover moment, that first opportunity to stand with the God of Israel because of what you believe is going to uh, impact the world and actually prove what Judaism was set out to be. Yeah, what I love about that is that it's it's all faith, right? There's no power here. They they have no power. They're not establishing this new direction based on you know wealth or militarism. This is all based on faith, and and that's really moving. What Maimonides would teach is that you know Christianity and Islam are sister religions, right? They're monotheists. And where do they get that idea from? Muhammad gets that idea from the Jews that he knows in his time, in the same way that Jesus 
gets those ideas from his own people. They may be very different interpretations than Judaism, but the essence of them is there's a God, and that one God of Abraham is the God that we believe in. That's the victory, isn't it? The victory is in the realm of ideas. Yeah, and it's an idea strong enough to carry you into the desert with no path of, you know, foreseeable. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.